Um, let me back up and say it this way. It's very important for us to understand if we're going to know the love of God, we have to know it objectively, not subjectively. Objectively, knowing it objectively means what? Knowing it subjectively means what? It means I feel it. I wake up and I, woo, I feel loved. What happens in the mornings you wake up and you're not feeling it? Or is that just me? Amen. <laughs> okay? So we have to know it. He's saying, if you want to know how you know God loves you, He has given you the ability to re-enter into His family. And he's quoting right here from his prologue in, in his gospel. John chapter 1, verse, I think it's 14. He says, um, uh, He has given us the right for, to those who believe to become children of God. To those who believe, he has been given the right to, uh, to enter in, to receive, to become the children of God. So he's quoting right from that. Okay, so the reason why the world does not know us is it does not know him. Now he's going to bring this up again. Now, he's talking to people who have been, uh, who are dealing with uh, a tribulation. They're, dealing with, they're going through struggles, they're going through trials. They're talking about people who are walking away, who are rejecting Christ as Messiah. And he's saying, listen, yes, this is hard that we're going through this. This is difficult that this is happening in, in, uh, in our midst. But y'all need to know something. If Jesus, John, he tells us the Gospel of John, Jesus came to his own and his own didn't know him. See, yeah. standing right in front, everything in this world was created through and for Jesus. And here's Jesus walking the earth. How many people actually recognized, saw, understood the lights were on who their creator was standing right there? Okay? He says, now, if that's true about Jesus and we have entered into the same light, here, this is what he's telling us. He's telling us we need to expect if we want our eyes open. Okay, all right, I'm going to borrow a little scene from the Matrix. You got the, the you know, red pill, blue pill, or whatever the colors were. Yeah. Okay. You take the red pill, says once you take it, you can't unsee this anymore. You can't unsee this. Once you enter into Jesus and you begin to actually see, you need to know something. There are going to be a lot of people who aren't seeing. And that not, should not be strange to you because it's exactly what happened when Jesus was on the earth. If they didn't know him, they're not going to know you. If they didn't know him, all the more reasons, he keep the theme here, all the more reason we need to stay connected together. Because if we're living in this world and we're running around and, and we have people who aren't seeing, how are we going to strengthen? How are we going to stay strong? How are we going to keep walking through that? How are we going to stay connected? By, by walking with others who do. Or, or, and it's possible, and he says this, we can just slide right back into sleep. Hmm. Let's go right back. You see, this is why everyone we read, Peter, his last letter, 2 second, second Peter, be diligent, make sure, Paul, second letter of Timothy we read, make sure, I'm going to tell you this over and over again, right? All right, man, I said I wasn't going to camp anywhere, and we got through two verses. All right, no, we got through one. Verse two, <laughs> beloved, we are God's children now, and, we, and what we will be has, has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. He's saying this. He's saying, guys, this is one of the things we have to keep foremost in our thinking as a believer. Right now, as a Christian, one of the things you have to keep foremost is that, that though we have entered into the kingdom, the fact of the matter is this gets changed. There is a glory that's to be revealed. And it's going to look just like Jesus. Being in the kingdom is not about going to heaven. It's about being glorified in Christ when he returns. Amen. And that we need to understand that we have, yes, we've entered in now. We see, but what we are seeing is something that is temporary for something that is greater that is coming. He said, if you know that, if you understand that, you're going to realize then that requires us to really try to walk out this purity thing the way Jesus did. Says we purify. See, notice we purify ourselves as He is pure. Purify means it's a process. We're doing it. We're working it. Do y'all follow this? Yes. Which then? How do we do that? We have to do it with one another. Does this make sense? Y'all following this? This is uh, okay. Let me keep going. Verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. <laughs> this letter here, there is more. John talks in, the, in, in, in a short period, in a short places, more about sin and walking pure than I don't know any other place in the entire scripture. It's, it's, it's like compact. He talks about this over and over. So, let's, I mean, uh, you know, I say this, as a teacher, as a, as, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, when you're teaching the Word of God, you know, my, you, know, it, it, you want to say, hey, we, we, we need to purify our lives. We need to not walk in sin, right? And then you want to talk about the love of God. Well, we're going to get to the love of God, but John camps here. Now, um, I, want, I want this to be real. Because how do we get this from here to our lives? Because if there's one thing that, um, that has caused the church to be ineffective is the fact that the church looks like the world. The church looks like the world. So, let, let's be real here for a second. I mean, it's one thing to hear, okay... I I, um, um, uh, I hear that I'm supposed to be perfect like Jesus, but you know I live in. A, I'm I'm talking pejoratively here to try to start a conversation, but you know, man, I live in the real world. <laughs> I live in a world where all these things happen to me all day long, and not my flesh just gets the better of me. You know, like, uh, I get squozen and Jesus' juice isn't the juice that always comes out. You see, here's, here's my point. My point is, is we can read these things, we can sit here and we can shake our hands and go, Hey man, that's good, and I'm not opening my mouth. I'm just going to leave out of here and that's going to survive. Or we can open it up, have conversation, because if we don't actually have a plan to intentionally do it, it won't happen. If we don't actually talk about it, think it through in a place that's safe, it's sure not going to be safe somewhere else where people are trying to squeeze you against it, right? Mm -hmm. 
I think the key is verse 6 and abiding in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, let's talk about a little bit about what this means. Does this mean, because you can read some of this language in here, does this mean if anyone sins, well, you know, hanging up, you're, you're not a believer, it's over. Is that, is that what it means? No. Nope. Okay. Yeah, is that the dad shaking his head? Yeah, that's what it means. <laughs> no, I know what you're all talking about, but I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So. Does this mean that I can actually be free from sin? Yes. How many believe that you can actually be free from sin? How many believe it's impossible you can't ever be free from sin? Not till I die. Not till you die. Hmm. What does he mean then if you keep on sinning? Everyone who makes a practice of sin, he practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's a lifestyle. Let me read another one, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Mm. By this it is evident who are, uh, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I think it's an issue of repentance. Does it say that? Whether you're... <laughs> actually, um, whether you have a heart... Because pride is the crown sin. Whether you're so prideful, you can't admit and you can't repent. Or whether you're humble enough to ask for forgiveness. Okay, but let's say you're humble. Okay, let's say you fall into a sin and, um, and then you repent, you actually repent. And you're like, okay, I'm done with that, never going to happen again, and then tomorrow it happens. Well, some, some people take, take it Does that mean the Spirit's not in you? No. You can't take that it means as, as a lifestyle, Because mm. you have people that are thieves all their lives, you got killers, you got, uh, well, there's one of them. Uh, and then you have liars that constantly lie. And in some of these groups, they do repent on Sunday, but then Sunday night they get back to sitting, gambling, coveting other men's wives. I mean, the list is long. Jenny? What define practice? Ah, okay. What do you think it means? That you're, you know what you're doing, and you're doing it anyway, and you're purposely doing it. Anybody ever know that they're doing it and actually regretting it while they're doing it? Absolutely. Many times. Actually, I'm going to hate this later, but... <laughs> I know that it's, it's being... If you're living a lifestyle, it's got to do with your heart against the Lord or you're for the Lord. And... He says, if you're led of the Spirit, that's what leads you to life. And so I guess there's really, it gets real deep. But, because uh, I've read that before, and it's like, that is strong. It's strong. It's strong language like, here. It's for real, though. It's yeah. for real. So, 
I know I don't live free from sin. I get when I work on stuff, I like to cuss. <laughs> and that's, I mean, not that I want to cuss, but that's the stuff that'll come out sometimes. And I'm like, Lord, I do not like that. Although I'm much better at it, I still have episodes where something would come out, and it's like, damn, gummy. And but but God, He's working it out. I don't want to live a lifestyle like that. Lifestyle like, bleep, 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 bleep. How you doing? You know. So anyway, that's my take. All right, so um, go ahead, Matt. I just think for me personally, when I kind of go through that argument, um, it's there's an awareness that I have mm-hmm. more so with with being aware of sin that's coming coming into me. Yeah. And, and being able to start that battle a little earlier mm-hmm. than when I'm being arrogant and careless. Mm-hmm. So abiding in Christ or being able to see, I think all those words hit really strongly. That's good. That's good. Well, me personally, so, I'm past physical sin, but uh, I still have problems with thought, uh, yeah. sinful thoughts. Yeah, so, um, you know, one is, one is it says sin is lawlessness. To think lawlessness, law, think law, Torah, Torahlessness, mm-hmm. living opposed to the Word of God. Um, that's the that's the relationship that's going on here. Um, missing the mark, falling short. Um, you know, the, the, in the in the Hebrew scriptures, you've got sin, you have transgressions, you have iniquities. Iniquities is the bentness of the heart. Transgressions is rebellion against the word of God. Sin, you know, uh, is falling short of, of the perfection. All of these things are pictures, word things, words in which we understand this. But for me, it, it comes. I think we all hit a lot of this. And I think we have the theory down. Um, and I think is, is uh, understanding that Jesus wants us to walk, to live. That we are called, if we have the light in us, we are called to live the light. To walk in that way. And when we don't, when we fall short, what should happen? It should bother us. Yes. If it does, it indicates there's something going on inside. Because those who were blind... When they do things that are the way of the world, don't care. Yeah. That's what it means. They practice it. They live it. It's just their lifestyle. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Look, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And therefore, when we live in the light, if we are living in the light around someone else and, uh, um, and they don't care, what ends up, what ends up happening? It shines a light on how they're living. Now, what is interesting to me, if that means that it would require them to live differently, what do we become to them? An enemy. Yeah, evil. 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 Exactly. Go ahead. I think that's why you see so much rejoicing when you do see Christians that fall. And there's there's almost like a celebration of the world. Yeah, absolutely. When you see people who fall, when you see people... and, but, but what should our attitude be when we see someone who falls? Pray for Pick them up. Yeah. But the grace of God, there go I. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, I remember hearing this story a long time ago. It was a, this older pastor who was um, going to minister to somebody who was really, you know, had fallen and was really struggling. He was taking a younger pastor along with him. And as they're walking on the way, 
The older pastor says to the younger pastor, says, could you see yourself having done what this man did? Can you see yourself having been in that place? And the younger pastor looks at him, oh, no, sir, I, I could never see myself there. He said, then you going home today, I'll take care of this myself. Where does that come in the scriptures? I'll tell you where it comes in the scriptures. It comes in the scriptures that says when you restore someone, you restore them as though you can get burnt yourself while doing it. What does that mean? If you can get burnt yourself, it means there but the grace of God go I. So John actually talks about how to deal with some of this later on in the text. And so I'm going to keep going so that we can get there. All right. Maybe, hopefully. I'll jump there at the end if we don't get there. How about that? All right, little children, I'm in verse uh, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Talking about Jesus. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I find it interesting. He paints a very black and white picture. Either one is in Christ, or one is of the devil. He doesn't give any other options here. Do you all see that? There's no middle ground for John in this, uh, in this letter. And he's going to make this point more as, as he goes through this. Either we're of the devil or we're in Christ. And how do we know? We know because we are struggling to live out that righteousness that he is inside of us. We're practicing it. We're figuring it out. We're wrestling with it. All right, keep going. Uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, do you catch that? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. Well, what is the works of the devil? All the people that are blind. What did he do? He says, it says in, in 2 Corinthians, turn over, keep your finger here. I'm going to go real fast. I'm going to go there, read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. This is what it says. Yes. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent... Uh, no, 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 no. I'm reading... Second Corinthians? I mean, sorry, I'm not even... I was in Galatians. <laughs> so get right past it. Second Corinthians 4, oh, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded people from seeing Christ. We are to do the works of him, of whose we are. Those in uh, the world are of the devil, meaning what? They are blinded by him. Jesus came to destroy those works. What did he come to do then? Reveal, let people, help people to see, to open their eyes to see. So when we are living the light, by the virtue of living the light in front of other people, we are revealing Christ. It doesn't mean it's up to us for them to get it. It means it's up to us for them to live it. God takes care of the rest. Now, it's twofold, right? There's both, there's both living it and speaking it. But your words should be a reflection of who you are. So if you never talk about Jesus, is that reflecting who Jesus in you? Because your words are a reflection of who you are. Now, but, but it doesn't mean the first thing you do, hi. My name's Mark. Have I told you about Jesus yet? No. All right. I mean, there's a place for that, but that doesn't mean that you do that every time you meet somebody, right? Um, 
So destroying the works of the devil is the same thing Jesus said. The gates of hell shall not prevail. For the, right? Yeah. Who is in the gates of hell? Those who are blinded. If I'm living the light of Christ and you all of a sudden see you have just been released from the gates of hell. It's destroying the works of hell. Are you everybody following this? All right, let me keep going. Uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If if you are not struggling to live a pure life, you have to ask yourself why. If you're not actually struggling to live a pure life, you have to ask yourself why. I have become dull of hearing. I have let something, I have let something of this world gain my affection. I am losing my first love. There is some reason that's holding me back. I don't, I, mean, I don't think that means that we're walking. Well, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Keep going. Why? Because if God is actually in you, then you would actually hunger, desire what he desires, hunger for what he desires. All right. Um, now, um, let me say this, because this is really important. That doesn't mean, because... Um, that doesn't mean that we can't have real struggles that we really wrestle with and try in seeking to get free. All right? I absolutely believe we can have real struggles that we struggle and wrestle with to get free. The question isn't whether or not we have them. The question is, um, uh, uh, are, we go, are we wanting to walk out and wrestle? Here's what it is. The righteous falls down seven times and gets back up. If that weren't true, why would Jesus say, if a man comes to you 77 times in a day, forgive him? I think 77 times a day means you might be struggling with something. Might think about that? All right, all right, let me keep going. By this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now he's changing gears. Saying, if you're not practicing righteousness, you're not of God. In, in other words, if you're not actually seeking these things out. Um, let me keep going. Verse 11. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning. Now he's changing gears. Remember I told you this is that, that pivot point in the letter. This is the message. That we should love one another. And this is what's unique about John in talking about love than, than any other author. He talks about love, first off, more than any author. But his way he talks about it is we have to love one another. We have to love one another. Guys, if we want to actually be free, and it's a struggle, how in the world am I going to struggle if I don't have people? How in the world am I going to make it through if I don't have somebody else who's actually going to love me in the middle of it? If I walk in this door, and I'm talking about things I'm really deeply uh, struggling with and hurting with, and everybody says, well, get away from me, you're of the devil... Is that actually loving someone? Yeah. If I'm walking now, if I walk in the door and I ignore it and and I keep living it as though it's quite fine and I keep bringing that in, now we have something we have to deal with. And this is important to understand. Multiple places Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, the apostles talk about it. If someone keeps bringing something in, and they're hard-hearted. They won't. They have no desire to deal with it. They're not struggling whatsoever. That needs to be kept outside. That's making the whole body impure. 
Oh my goodness, we do just the opposite of those two things. When someone comes in and is honest, we hold them back because we don't because they might share something that, that I, I'm struggling with or I don't want anybody to know about or something else that's going on. And so we leave that person out there. But then we let people who we absolutely know are walking in things that are completely contrary to Christ with no sense of, 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 of um, wanting to break from it at all. And we say, oh, that's okay because, that's okay because nobody's talking about it. Mm. You see how that happens? Isn't that interesting? We get it backwards. You see, if we walk in truth and love, it'll be truth to the one who's hard-hearted and love to the one who's broken-hearted. Does that make sense? I would, Question? Yeah, I was just going to say it. It's, uh, if you don't have judgment in your heart, then you can love people. Yeah, well... Because then you're not looking at them like, holy moly, that's way worse than what I would do, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we, we can't judge, but that's the blood we all burn. So, all right, I got There was a... You know what? This this should be... I wish I had thought about this in this video clip. There's a... Well, I don't remember the movie. Um, I think it was like a Sinbad type of, type of movie. It was set in that kind of mystical Middle East kind of um, uh, setting. Um... Uh, middle ages and this guy and, and there was all I remember is there's this path you had to walk down and there's all these temptations happening on either side of the path and, and these voices saying all this stuff to you and, and that really tried to lure you off the path and, and but at the end of the path you get to there was this gem and this gem was a key to you know solving the mystery of the movie right and so all of these people came in who were strong and stout and they were the hero type people and they're walking down the path and as they're going down, all these temptations would start coming and, uh, and they would like see visions of people that they knew and loved and had to rescue, anything to try to get them to step off the path. And, and sure enough, all of these hero type people end up stepping off and don't make it. This one guy comes in, this is real. I don't know if this fully applies, but it's funny. And I think it does a little bit. This guy that comes in, he's, a, he's, a, he's kind of like a reformed thief. So he's joined the good guys, but he comes from this real shady thief kind of background. And he's going down and he's seeing his thing and, and he sees this view of this temptation. He goes, yeah, I know what that kind of temptation is like. And he keeps on going, yeah, I've seen that too. And he's just like, none of this stuff affects him because, it's, because he, he, he relates to it. He understands it. None of it. So he gets down and, and it, oh yeah, that's a good one, really. And then he gets all the way to the end and he's able to get the gem and get out and be the hero. My goodness. If we embraced people like that when they came, oh yeah, dang, that really, you know, it's with much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. Come on, on let's tribulate together. <laughs> all right. There's a, there's a cool little surprise in the end if we can get to it. It goes with all this. Where am I? For this is the message that, uh, for this is the message that we have heard from the beginning. This is, I'm in verse 11. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Catch this. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evils and his brothers were righteous. He murdered him simply because his brother was good. He murdered him because 
You're making me look bad. You're making me look bad. Now, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. I had this, <laughs> it's kind of a funny, another little funny story that goes along with this. I worked, when I was early, um, young, coming up, I, I worked uh, for UPS, which was a Teamsters Union, under the Teamsters Union at the time. I was loading trucks. And, um, and so, uh, loading trucks, sorting smalls, and I, I would go to work, it's like, if I'm gonna be here, man, I just like to work. And I would work and I'd work. But the shop steward, like, if you, for instance, unloading trucks, I could keep two sorters busy. Well, they always have one person unloading to one sorter. So, man, you know, if you're keeping two sorters busy, you're getting rid of somebody's job if you're doing this. Well, the shop steward would come up to me all the time and says, why are you working so hard? Why are you working so fast? You're making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> he would say that to me all the time. <laughs> and I, you know, being 19, 20 years old, I look and I said, man, you don't need any help. You make yourself look bad. But <laughs> <laughs> so, but this is, this is what happened. When we live in the light, just like Cain. Cain's like, Cain killed his brother. What was Abel doing? Think about it. What was Abel doing? Was Abel doing anything in the story? Was he putting his brother down? Was he doing anything negative towards his brother at all? Is there anything in there where he's like, dude, why don't you be like me? Was there anything at all that, than which Abel was provoking his brother? Or was he just worshiping God? And that alone was enough, according to the story, for Cain to come along and say, I'm done with you. You know why this is so relevant? I've told you all this. Um, I've said this a couple of times. Christianity right now in our culture, right now in our culture, used to be 20, 30 years ago, the biggest issue with Christianity in our culture was truth. Is it true? Right now in our culture, the biggest issue with Christianity is, is it good? The biggest issue we face as believers right now is that by living our lives, we just living our lives, um, we're presenting evil. I was listening just this morning, Ravi Zacharias, one of his key speakers, Abdul Murray, grew up Muslim. He's an American, grew up Muslim. Guy's huge. He used to be an MMA fighter. I'm <laughs> glad he's a believer now. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but he was telling us, this is listening to it this, this week, um, saying his son on social media, his son on social media just mentioned that he was pro-life. Just mentioned it. He was unfriended by people with absolute vitriol just for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. A kid just being unloaded on just for saying I'm pro-life. No discussion. You're evil. That's evil. This is real. Here it is. It's one thing to sit here and read it. It's a whole other thing when you put faces to it. You see, for years of my life, I would read these things and go, wow, other people in the world have to deal with this stuff. So how are we going to deal with this? Yeah. Hopefully. Because his own, uh, verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. See, the very thing he said back in verse uh, one, the reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know him. Do not, now I'm in here, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Wow. The only test John's giving in that verse 
And saying, as I know, I've literally passed out of death into life. I'm actually living in life as if I love my brothers and sisters. Wow. It's the only test he's giving here. The only test he's saying that proves we're not of the devil anymore is we're actually loving one another. That's the same thing Jesus said. The yeah. Commandments. That's right. You shall know, they shall know you are my disciples if you have love, not for the world, for one another. Man. All right. Whoever does not abide, uh, because we, whoever does not love abides in death. If you're not loving, you know what that means? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's going right back to the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not kill, uh, uh, kill um, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you have anger or hatred in your heart, you've already killed your brother. He's quoting that right there. If you don't have, if you are, if you have hatred, you're a murderer. If you're a murderer, you don't have life. There's no room for unforgiveness. There's no room for bitterness. No room. It's like wow. That means. What does that mean? What is? Let me give you a definition of love. If you got a pencil and paper, write this down. I'm going to give you a working definition of love. So I'll tell you what it isn't. First off, it's not an emotion. Let me tell you what it is. To love is to act for the highest and best for the object of your affection. No, I'm sorry, I left one part out. To love is to act um, regardless of cost. I left that part out. To love is to act regardless of cost to the highest and best of the object of your affection. What that means, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that gets rid of any selfishness. Well, you know, I don't like my church because dot, dot, dot. I didn't like when this message, or I didn't like that way we sang that song. I didn't like when that person looked at me this way. I didn't like that we did that. I didn't like the... It's like, all of a sudden, all that kind of goes away, doesn't it? Yes, sir? You know, I love it. I had a question about... You love how, it? <laughs> well, the question was answered. That's what I love. Okay. The question was answered by your definition. Yeah. But the question... But I still think it's good thought exercise. The question was, how does that reconcile with truth to the hard-hearted and love to the broken-hearted? But that just answers it right there. Yes. To the highest and best. What's exactly? Yes. If, if, a, if a hard-hearted person comes in the room, and I know that, that if, a, if, a person, if a person was in the midst of the church, and you know, I'm going to take 2 Corinthians, of, uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is. When Paul's dealing with, he says, there's one among you who is sleeping with his stepmom. Okay, there's one among you, and you are allowing it to go on. He says, and he, you've, people have gone to him, they've said something, he's not repenting, he's not changing. And you all are allowing that to continue in your midst. He says, when you get together, turn that one over to Satan, and I'll do it in the spirit, so that they might be saved. That's how you love the hard-hearted. Because this person is claiming, look, 
He's claiming to be a believer. If a person is claiming... Now, if a person is not claiming to be a believer, that's not what keeps them from Christ. Their unbelief is what's keeping them. Alright? So you, we don't go around... I had a... Um, um, I had a... I'll tell you, you know, working in the construction industry, uh, if there's one thing, especially if you're working out in the field, you're working out in the field, you're going to hear just, just about anything you can imagine language-wise. Okay? And I would, I would talk to other people who are believers, going, yeah, I hate hearing that, I hate hearing that. Well, I, I can understand that you don't like to hear it, but quite frankly, it doesn't bother me a bit. It doesn't bother me a little bit. Because I don't hear, I hear the person, not what they're saying. Literally had a person sit in an office right next to me out in the field on the job site. I mean, every other word was not a pleasant word. Every other word. It was just the, it was just the way this person talked. They just talked like this all the time. But then, but I ended up, ended up being able to have a building of a relationship with this person. And talking uh, more and more with this person. This person, it, to them, when they're speaking, it's just the way they spoke. It's, it, it, to them, it, they, it's like, okay, um, I want to say this. Now, if, I'm, if, I, if that person claimed to be a believer, if that person claimed to say, you know what, I really, you know, really have a heart for Jesus and want to see other people come to him and say, hey, brother, we need to have a conversation. Would Jesus do that? Is that how Jesus would choose to talk to someone in order to win them? You see the difference? It's a big difference. Now, you don't start off with, and that's the other problem I've seen, is that we start off with the double barrel. You see somebody behaving a certain way. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know their background. You know what's going on in their heart. God, there are people um, who come to Christ who were way over here, and you see them here, still fall short of this, but man, you have no idea how far they've come. <laughs> you follow? Amen. All right. So that's kind of hitting that question. All right, let me keep going here. What verse was I at? 16. Wow. Okay, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for the brothers. All right, that was what I read in the definition, regardless of cost. Mm. To love is to act regardless of cost. If he, and, and John's coming right out and saying, I mean, this is kind of crazy. He's coming around and saying, if Jesus laid his life down for us, then guess what the standard is? Wow. There's the standard. But if anyone has this, catch on, he goes on. If anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need, it doesn't mean see everybody on the street in need. Y'all catch that? Sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? How does God's love abide? Uh, now, let me, I want to touch on that just, just real briefly. Little children, let us, lo- let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So, um, part of a business, the owner uh, was a believer, and the owner had people, guys that would come up to him and say, hey, you know, you hire him on, they needed a couple of bucks to get a truck or something like this. And so he would lend them out three, four hundred bucks. Um, they'd go get go get a vehicle, and they, they would sign a letter. Yeah, you can take this out of my paycheck every week, you know, until it's paid off. And then they quit before it was paid off. And after doing this two or three times, getting burnt bad, he's like, "That's it." You know, I know I'm supposed to, 
But every time I do it, I get burnt. I'm, I'm not, I can't do that. What? And then he looks at me. I'm just, I'm just there in a the company, right? And I'm a young guy. And, I'm just there, and he looks at me. So what would you do? I'm like, why am I coming into this? <clears throat> so I told him, I said, you know what? I, I, this is, let me throw an idea out there for you. I heard this, actually heard this from Larry Burkett on how to be a godly businessman. He said, this is what he would do. He said, when he had employees, because this, this happens, employees come, you know, they got needs and they need needs. He said, he had an employee come, he says, he need needs. He said, great, this is what I'm going to do. I've got a guy who's a financial counselor and he's independent. I'm going to set you up for a free appointment and sit down. He's going to go through your finances with you. And he's going to put you on a budget. And he's going to see if you have enough money for the, the month. And if he tells me you need a $500 loan for the truck, I'll give it to you. He said, that's a good idea. He went and got a financial counselor, lined it up. Every single person that would come up to him, hey man, I just need 500 bucks, I need this truck. He says, great, awesome. Tell him what he's going to do. And everyone, oh man, that's all right. I'm good. Nobody, yeah, nobody I'm good. ever took, took advantage. <laughs> that's it. What was he doing? That is the highest and best. Mm -hmm. Somebody says they have an eat, awesome. Let's prove it out. Let's get you real help. It doesn't mean that everybody comes up to you and says, I need 500 bucks. It means you have to pull out 500 bucks. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. What it's really talking about is your heart. Where is your heart? Do what you own belong to you or does it belong to God? God. <coughs> Who does it belong to? That's what it's really about. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna, I've shared this before. I'm sharing it again because this was just brilliant in our home. It changed everything. When, when, we, when we would see needs come, you know, you have your budget, right? You set up your budget, and hopefully you, you're, you're trying to go by a budget and live by it. And, and then needs would come in, and all of a sudden, needs would hit. And Diane and somebody come up, and Diane would go, you know, we got a need. Do we do this? Do we do it? Are we going to take it from the budget? How are we going to do this? How are we going to handle it? I don't know. We pray. Lord, what do you want us to do? And it was a real struggle every single time. So finally, I don't know where I heard this. I heard somebody else doing it. And I picked it up somewhere. I literally said, I said, I have an idea. She said, what's that? I said, why don't we take an additional amount over and above our tithe and our, our ministries that we give to, take an additional amount that we just, it's, it's un, we don't know where it's going, but we just give it to God right away, put it in the bank account. Bam, there it is, right in the bank account. We just take them out. And then when needs come up, we already have the money sitting there. It's already pre-given. She's like, I like that idea. And that money, it's, a, it's a, quite frankly, we could care less. I mean, look, if we get a chance for a tax thing, fine. But it has nothing to do with giving it to a 501c3 or something like that. And then, we, then another thing we did is we set up a rule. Up to this dollar amount, either one of us can give without talking to the other one. Over that, we got to talk together and figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what, the joy we've been able to have from doing that one thing alone, I have actually seen one of my children actually set up a account and start to do this. Yes. Yeah. That's, is that not cool? But it's, it's God's money. You see, the, um, I read the, John Piper wrote this. I think it was John Piper. I'm going to give him credit. Okay. He could have written it if it wasn't him. He said, you know, we, we, we get, there's a scripture that talks about this. Don't steal, earn, give. This is what the scripture says. I'm giving you the three points. It says, don't steal, earn, give. He says, we're really good at one and two. We know we shouldn't steal. We know we should go earn. But then we earn for us. No, you don't steal because you're not supposed to steal. That's not the character of Christ. You earn because that's the character of Christ. We should carry our own burdens. 
so that you can give. John's saying the same thing here. All right. Where am I? 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I just want to throw this out there. This is a really cool scripture. We, number one, we can have assurance. Number two, when we don't have assurance, that doesn't mean we should be listening to our doubts. We should be listening to the word of God. God's greater. Uh, this is huge. This is when we're having those questions, when we're having those doubts, when we're going, oh, you know what? I just sinned for the 99th time today and I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with it. No, God's greater. I love this verse. Like you can't right here, but I got to keep going. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Let me say something. John's not giving a quid pro quo here. John's not saying if you want the way your prayers to be answered, you've got to go do something for God and God will do something for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying because we are keeping his commandments, because we are living righteously, because we are letting him reflect us, when we are praying, we're going to be praying according to his will. And when we're praying according to his will, those things we're praying are going to happen. And it's going to feed us continuing to do. This is, a, these, this is the seven steps to experiencing God by, John, uh, by uh, Henry Blackaby. God's always moving. God is pursuing us. But while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God's always inviting us into his plan. He has the plan that says, come and get in. If we want to have our prayers answered, get into his plan. Get into what he wants to do. Number four, God is always speaking. All right? He speaks to the word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks to other circumstances. Number five, it brings us to a crisis of faith. When God speaks, we, it is a crisis of faith. We have to decide, am I going to give to that person? Am I going to love that person? Am I going to lay my life down for that person? It's a crisis of faith. Number six, it is an adjustment to our lives. We crucify ourselves and we step out. Now that all leads us to number seven, which is what he's talking about right here. Number seven, we step out in obedience and all of a sudden God moves through us. When we move through us, we experience him in our lives. How awesome is it? If anybody ever can know the experience of being used by God at some point in some time, how does that feel? You're experiencing Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. You follow that? It's not a quid pro quo. It's one following the other. Could, could I ask so, uh, would, yes. Wouldn't this be a form, a form of obedience, obedience by faith? Yeah, it is. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Crisis of faith. We come to a place of crisis of faith where we have to step out and obey. Faith, the word faith in the Bible, I'll give you three definitions. Faith is faith slash faithfulness. Another way is faith slash loyalty. Or another way of looking at it is believing loyalty. Faith in the Bible from the beginning is always about believing loyalty. Being loyal to the God of the universe. Believing loyalty. That's always what it's about. Man, that's a whole study on its own. All right, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commands us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Earlier in chapter 2, he talks about the anointing that's on us 
The anointing who lives in us, the anointing he personifies, now he's coming right out and telling us specifically that, that one who is the anointing is the Spirit, that one who is the Spirit is Christ abiding in us. He's, just, he's tying all these things together. Um, chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe, catch this, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Anybody heard that verse before? They are, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. It's talking about false prophets. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice what's going on here. He's, what is he saying? Seeing that, that test the spirits. How do we know the spirit of what someone is teaching, the spirit of what someone is saying? It's going to declare Christ. It's going to declare he came in the flesh. It's going to declare who he is. Um, and it's not going to deny him. Hmm. All right. Is this even before they believe? Do that. Say that again. That they, they listen to us even before they are believers. Or just after. So this is John talking. And John's saying, listen, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. He's talking about himself and those who's teaching. So therefore, what I'm telling you, if you agree with me, then, then you are in the light. You're understanding these things. If you're not agreeing with what I'm saying, then you're not in the light. This is what John's saying. So why do I know? I know because I have the Spirit of Christ in me, and everything I'm telling you is coming from the place of the Spirit of Christ that's in me. He started off from the beginning. That which I've heard, that which I've touched, that which I've uh, uh, um, seen, these are the things I'm testifying and telling you right now. He's I'm, I'm eyewitness to these things, and this is him bearing that witness. Matt, you were going to say something? Robert, question? Put, no, actually, uh, putting this into context of where he started at the beginning of chapter 4 to answer your question, I believe he's referring to how to differentiate between false prophets and those who are really... What I would be... Well, I think what he's saying here, and I can, I can verify this more later, but I think what he's saying here is this letter that I'm writing you if you agree with my letter and you follow this and you're catching to what I'm saying here, that's the truth. If you're disagreeing with what I'm telling you here and you don't think this is true and you're trying to tell something other than this, that's how I know that you're in a spirit of error. Because everything I'm telling you, I'm telling you because the spirit of Christ is dwelling in me. This is not. This is truth. I think that's where he's coming from. I think that's the perspective he's coming from here. And so when you, why? Because when you look the other letter, this letter back here to Gaius. Third uh, John, I think it is. I think it's Third John. He comes right out and says, um, "I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority." Mm-hmm. He's talking about people not acknowledging his authority. So they're not acknowledging the authority. They're of the devil. They're of the world because they don't have the truth in them. 
chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you. This is his closing uh, epilogue. Closing statement. Epilogue. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. See, he's repeating this again. Remember we, we read that earlier? If we ask, we will receive. He's repeating this. By the way, John gives that same um, exhortation seven times from John chapter 14 to John chapter 16. Same exhortation. Four, seven times in John chapter 14. If anyone, uh, if, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. You ready? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God shall give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Did you catch what he just said? I want to read this again. Catch what he's saying here. If anyone sees his brother is committing a sin not leading to death. He shall ask God. Who shall ask God? You. The one seeing. The one seeing it. He shall ask God and God will give him life. Give who life? The one sinning. Did you catch that? If anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God shall give him life. Huh. First of all, what is the sin that does not lead to death? Okay. There, let's start there. Let's start there. That's a good place to start. Um, so, the, the scripture, it, uh, it doesn't come right out and says, here it is, this is the sin that leads to death. I'll give you two things. One, Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's when you clearly see and know the work of God and you say it's, it's the devil. Not if you think it's the devil because that's the way you're taught and trained, but you clearly know this is the work of God and you turn up. Alongside of that, it goes right hand in hand to that, would be to absolutely know that Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus is the way and to deny it. Denying Christ. Now, that does, I'm not talking about somebody who uh, is not a believer. And, yeah. Wouldn't denying Christ lead to death? Yeah, so, but I'm talking about the context of this. Yeah, year. yeah. If someone is a believer, and then they turn around and they absolutely reject and deny Christ. Okay, now you can't re-crucify the Son of God to yourself. Tells us in Hebrews. All right, 
there's got to be some comments here on what we just talked about. It, Paul also talks at one point about, I don't know which letter, but about covering your family by praying for them, even if they're not believers. Love covers a multitude of sins. No, it's the one where it's actually talking about your brother husband. or your family. Husband and wife. The righteousness of a husband covers a... Uh, the righteousness of the believing spouse. Yeah, sancti your children are sanctified. Yeah. yeah, that's good. There's a connection there. I can see a connection there. How many people have ever thought that they could actually pr pray for a brother and sister in Christ and repent on their behalf? Didn't John also say in the, in the end of the gospel, or Jesus said it in the end of the gospel of John, if you forgive the sins... Of someone they're forgiven, and if you withhold the sins of any, or withheld. Yeah, but I, I'm not so sure that's talking about the same thing here. That's a different, <coughs> different conversation. This says if I see a brother sinning, then I can pray, begin to pray for them, and God's going to bring life to that person. Job, Job did it for his friends. Yeah. Yeah, but his Job friends came and asked him to. Well, but God, God. This is him. this. Yeah. Well, God no. God told the friends to go to Job. Yeah, Job used to. God didn't tell Job. Yeah, God told the friends to go to Job. So this person is unknowing of what you're doing. Yes. The sins, if you see your brother yeah, yeah. committing a sin, it doesn't say wait for him to come to you and ask. Job used yeah. to do it for his kids, though, when they were off party. He did. Uh, Job did do that for his kids just in case. Yeah, just in case. Uh, kids are partying. I better pray tonight. <laughs> 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 Moses did it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we got some parents feeling that here. <laughs> well, I think we live in out leaving out a very important term, compassion. Well, you would have to have compassion to do this, but I think it's shocking to think that. that how often do you actually hear it said you can go and pray for someone who is who is living in sin? Yeah. That God, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you who else did it. Daniel did it on behalf of the nation of Israel. Lord, we're in exile here. We have sinned. And he put himself in there. We have sinned against you. He begins confessing all the sins of the nation so that, that the Lord would relent of the 70-year exile and, and release them back to Israel. Isn't that a show of compassion? Well, absolutely it's compassion. But mo most of us don't put compassion along the lines of actually confessing and uh, someone else's sin before God, that God could relieve them and bring them, uh, uh, bring life to them. This we've, is radical. Well, we've been learning about that, like repenting for our nation, for the government yeah. stuff. With it, that we have an authority to do that, but not that I completely understand that. How that yeah. works? But yeah, listen, I, I'm not. I, I want to caution something. I don't think this is a formula. Okay? I don't think this is one of those things that we see somebody doing something, so we confess and repent on their behalf, and then we go, well, God, your word said, how come they didn't turn? I don't think that, that change, they still have a choice in the decision to matter. Okay? But it kind of connects us here. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Stephen, raining down, stones raining down on his body. Father, don't hold this against them. And how many of them, Paul being one of them, ends up coming to Christ? Ultimately, it's love, right? Do you see this? So, he's yeah. Ultimately, he's describing at the end here how, how it means to live this live this love out. And notice, this is all in the family. See, a brother 
This is all in the family. So he finished, this is how he finishes his letter. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. There he goes again. And he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. All right. Now he's writing to people who are going through trials.